Amen. What I want to preach to you tonight is a message about our faith. Now, whenever you're talking about uh, the faith of a believer, there's two different ways that you can look at faith. Now, we know what faith is based off of Hebrews 11, verse 1. Um, but faith is one of two things. It is what you believe, right? Something that's not seen but hoped for. Or it describes our Christianity, the faith. Amen? It can be used one of two ways, and uh, we're going to look at a, a couple of different aspects um, about our faith tonight. Beginning here in Matthew chapter 9, verse number 20, we're going to point out a, a, a characteristic or a quality of faith that moves mountains. Now, one of the things that I love is when, when I see God move mountains in people's lives. I especially love it when God moves mountains in my life. But I really love it also when God moves mountains in other people's lives. And mountain-moving faith is, is a quality or a characteristic that is not too common today. Mountain-moving faith takes um, someone who doesn't take no for an answer. Even if you've been told no repeatedly. You remember the woman that uh, wanted her daughter healed and went to Jesus, all right? And she, after the third time, she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs. And sometimes, especially when mama bear, and it's about baby bear, she's not going to take no for an answer, right? Mama bear don't take no for an answer when it comes to baby bear. And... If you look at it in the aspect of faith, this is the kind of faith that we should exercise. When it comes to using our faith, we should have the same kind of faith of I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm going to hang on. I'm going to hang on. I'm going to push through. Well, this, this characteristic um, that we're looking at on, on faith, it is... Uh, found here in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 20, uh, just these three verses. It says, And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him, speaking of Jesus, and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Now, the part that I want you to grab hold of before we jump off over into uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20 the part that I want you to grab a hold of on this is that it wasn't that she thought if I could touch his garment. It's that she did it. In other words, her faith moved her feet. And if your faith doesn't move your feet... You don't have faith, you have wish. Yeah. 
and wishing don't move mountains. Wishing don't work with God. Faith works with God. And if you want to have mountain-moving faith, where are your feet? If you're praying for rain and it hasn't rained in three years, do you have an umbrella with you while you're praying? Come on. If you don't have a job and you're praying for a job, are you going out and looking for cars yet? Faith moves our feet. And if it's a right faith, it will move us to right actions. Amen? Now here we see that the woman with the issue of blood and, and you know, other accounts describes this in, 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 in more details. She went to all kinds of folks trying to find answers till she heard about Jesus. And when she heard about Jesus, she thought, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, right? And do you know where most people stop? The thought. Well, it'd be nice if there wasn't so many people around so I could get to him. It would be nice if the sea parted and nobody blocked my way. It would be nice if it was 72 degrees and, and partly sunny and I wasn't tired. It would be nice. But faith doesn't wait for things to get nice. Faith moves our feet. And if we're going to walk by faith and not by sight, that tells you that there's an action part to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you know, verses 6 through 8. We walk by faith and not by sight. But you know what the problem is? Most of us aren't walking by faith. Most of us are sitting by faith. If that, if that. But God has called us to walk by faith. Now, before, before we get, you know, uh, down into the nitty-gritty on what I'm explaining to you tonight, understand what Jesus said. He didn't say it was her good thoughts that made her whole. It wasn't. It wasn't anything else than her faith that made her whole. But if she would have never pressed through the crowd, she wouldn't have been made whole. She would have lived the rest of her life with that issue of blood. And it was because she was desiring to be made whole that she pushed through the crowd because she desired. And that desire made way for faith again faith moves our feet amen faith moves our feet so this woman with the issue of blood she knew what the right thing to do was and she did something that most people don't not only did she know what the right thing to do was she actually did the right thing come on you don't get bonus points for knowing what's right and wrong. You only get points if you do what's right and wrong. 
You don't get bonus points for scoring a 100 on some test. God doesn't give you bonus points because you know right from wrong. You want to please God? Obey God. You want to please God? Do what he says. In fact, God says over there in Hebrews eleven six that without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith moves our feet. Knowing the right thing to do and doing it are two different things. Knowing the right thing and doing it are two different things. Turn, turn with me to Hebrews eleven six. You need to see this. Hebrews eleven six. The Bible says in verse number six, but without faith, it is impossible. Everybody say impossible. impossible. Without faith, it is not possible to please him. Amen. And what does faith do? It moves our what? All right. So faith moves our feet, and without faith, it is impossible or not possible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that, what's that word? Diligently seek him, not casually. If you diligently go after God, you're actually pursuing a closer walk with thee. And not just singing it. Hey, we, we can get anybody to sing a closer walk with thee. Sometimes they get rock musicians to sing old gospel songs or country musicians. Anybody can sing a closer walk with thee. But what God wants to know is, is that in your heart? Do you live to have a closer walk with him or not? And if you live to have a closer walk with him, you will continually be molded and made into the image of Christ. You will continually be renewed in your mind as you draw closer to God. But if you're not, it's just empty words. A closer walk with thee is a beautiful song, but anybody can sing it. But the person that pleases God actually lives it. They diligently seek God. And so when you get to heaven, if you get to heaven, let's not presume. When you get to heaven, if you get to heaven, God's not going to say, you did a good job singing that song, A Closer Walk With Thee. If he says, well done, good and faithful servant, it's going to be because you lived it, not because you sang it. So my question to you, first off, do you live to have a closer, ever closer walk with God every day? Do you diligently seek God? Do you pursue him? Continually looking and making sure you're walking in line with God, in line with God and being led by his spirit allowing the word of God to mold you and make you 
Sometimes the Word of God rebukes us. Sometimes the Word of God tells us that we ain't right. And you need to be soft and pliable enough to say, Yes, sir, Lord. I don't want to do anything that doesn't please you, Lord. I want a closer walk with you, Lord. I want to please you, Lord. If it means that I've got to not watch my favorite TV show, okay. If it means I've not, I've, maybe I'm going to talk less to that one friend that always takes me to that place I don't want to go. But if I'm going to diligently seek God, I'm, I'm ready, willing, and able to do whatever I need to do so that I can pursue Him. You see what it says? Faith diligently seeks Him. People say, I got faith, I got faith, I got faith. But all I see them doing is diligently seeking the desires of their carnal heart. Well, when push comes to shove and we depart from this life and enter into the next life, we'll find out. We may not know what everybody's motives are right now, but on that day, it'll be revealed. Truth to be told. The motives of the heart will be revealed. And if the motives of your heart aren't right right now, best time to change is right now. Don't wait another day because you may not get it. And you don't want to suffer all of eternity because you waited too late. Don't wait for a deathbed confession. You may not get it. A lot of people don't get that opportunity. I've talked to a lot of people and they'll say, I, I'm, you know, I'll wait till I'm, you know, in the hospital and all that kind of stuff. You may not get that opportunity. So anyways, this verse here, it says that it, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And this faith that we're talking about tonight moves our feet. Now, now I want to get in and just kind of uh, squeeze on what this, this faith that moves our feet actually is and what it looks like. Let's, let's go a little bit deeper in that. So I want to take you over to James chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 14, and we're going to go down through verse number 20. So as we go over to James chapter 2, now one of the things that you need to know about James chapter 2 is there was a big battle in the church about the book of James because uh, how many of y'all know Martin Luther? He was an amazing man of God, changed the church history, you know, the Reformation. The just shall live by faith. But he couldn't reconcile the just shall live by faith with this book. And so he said that it was, it was wood, hay, and stubble, and to throw it out. He didn't like it because there's, there's parts of it that seem to contradict the just shall live by faith. But John Wesley came a few years later, kind of corrected him. John Wesley said that the just shall live by faith is for salvation. What James is talking about in chapter 2 is for Christian practice. In other words, this is how you live a Christian life. Romans is talking about salvation. James is talking about how you're supposed to live. You see? 
So here in, in James chapter 2 and verse number 14, the Bible says, What doth it profit, my brethren? Now, we'll stop right here and come along beside John Wesley. You see, he calls them brethren. So these are already believers. These folks are already saved. So what we're about to talk about has zero. Everybody say zero. Good job. What we're about to talk about has zero relevance to salvation. This is sanctification. This is talking about how you live before God. This is walking and fleshing out your, your Christian walk. And faith moves our feet, right? Faith moves our feet. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? And now he's going to give an illustration right here on these next two verses on what exactly he's talking about. He's saying if, if, if somebody says that they have faith, let me say it in uh, Brother Kenny's vernacular. If somebody says that they're a believer, but they don't act like they're a believer, there's a problem. Houston, we have a problem. If somebody says that they are of our faith, but they do not live of our faith, Houston, there's a problem. Somebody says that they're a believer, but they hate their enemies, problem. Somebody says they're a believer, but they're a drunkard, problem. Somebody says they're a believer, but they're a liar, a fornicator, adulterer, murderer, envious, lustful, covetous, you name it. Throw it in there. If somebody says they're a believer, but they're caught up in those actions, there's a problem. Okay? There's a problem. And so here's the illustration that, that, that James uses. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food. Now, some of us don't even know what it's like to skip one meal, much less a day day right if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food and one of you say unto them depart in peace be ye warmed and filled you think that's going to help somebody you see somebody hungry and naked and you say oh i hope you feel better depart in peace and be filled they're going to look at you like, what are you talking about? Correct? If one of you say, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? If you just say you have faith, but you don't do that which is needful for your faith, what you got? You got a lie in your head. Amen. You're deceiving yourself. You're calling yourself something you're not. That's what James is talking about. He's saying it's the same thing. If somebody says they're a believer, but they don't live the Christian life, there's a problem. They're deceiving themselves and other folks. It would be no different than somebody being hungry and naked 
and you just telling them, I hope you're full and I hope you're warm. What is that? That's a wish. That's a wish again. Wishing and faith are two different things. Faith moves our feet. And in this illustration, in this example that James is giving, if these people had actual love in their heart, they would give them the needs that they had. They would give them clothes and give them food. They would actually do what was needful in that moment. They would actually do what was needful. And if you're not willing to do which is that which is needful according to faith, what do you have? What do you have? You have a wish. You have a wish. Verse number 17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. So faith without works is dead. If your faith doesn't move you to change, if your faith doesn't move you to walk away from what destroys you, what do you got? You got an emotional experience between your ears and a lie in your heart. But true saving faith will cause you to walk away from the things that God hates. True, saving faith will cause you to leave those things that are contrary to God. And it will cause you to walk after God, follow after God, and serve God all the days of your life. And every day you get up, you try to do it better. Faith moves feet. Faith without works is dead. Being alone. In other words, he's saying that if, if there are no actions accompanying what you say you believe, you're just talking in the wind. I want to ask you, where are the actions that accompany what you say you believe? If you believe such and such, shouldn't you act such and such? For example, if the building was on fire and you believed it, would you get out? Would you move your feet? If your loved ones were in a building on fire, would you move your feet? Try to get them out? Huh? What about if your loved ones were at risk of eternal fire? Do you believe that? Or is it just jibber-jabber? Because if we believe it, it will actually motivate our feet. We'll actually be willing to look like a fool and share the gospel with somebody. Because we love not ourselves, but we love God. Verse 18 says, Yea, a man may say 
Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works. See, somebody can say that they have faith without works. But James is saying, I'm going to show you what faith is when you see what I do. Let, let me break it down just a little bit further, a little bit deeper. It, it, it comes down to this point of doing what you say and not just saying something, not just pulling something out of the air and saying it, right? If somebody says that they have faith, it will cause them to respond in a certain way. If I tell Sister Lindsay that I love her, but then I abuse her, my actions deceive my words. And I can stay in la-la land, and I can, I can just say it and say it and say it and say it and say it. But it's empty words because my actions don't meet the words and James is saying the same thing about our faith. You can say you're a believer. You can say you're a believer. You can say you're a Christian. You can say you're a Christian. But if you're a drunkard, a liar, a fornicator, adulterer, envious, go down the list. 1 Corinthians 6, go down it. If you've got those issues going on, there is a problem in your walk. There's a problem. Instead of faith moving your feet, faith is causing you to do something you shouldn't do. So our faith is supposed to cause us and move us to good works. Look what it says in verse number 19. Thou believest that there is one God. Is there only one God? Amen? Amen. There's only one God, right? There's a, there's a Godhead, Amen. three persons, but there's only one God. Amen. There's only one God being. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. Guess what? If you admit that, you're on par with the devil's. Thou do as well. The devils also believe there's one God. Every demon that ever encountered Jesus said, you're going to cast us down into hell now? You're going to destroy us now? And worshiped him. Look at the, 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 the man uh, with legion in Matthew chapter 5. He came and worshiped Jesus. Demons are, are bound to worship him. They know who he is. They know exactly who he is. And look at this. They believe and tremble. Every demon that ever encountered Jesus trembled. But yet they're not saved. Yet they're not redeemed by the blood. And you say you are? And not only do you not tremble, but you do the things that God hates? Houston, we have a problem. What kind of faith do we have? 
We're in la-la land. And it might cost us our soul. It might cost us eternity. Don't let your heart deceive yourself. Faith moves our feet. Faith causes us to right actions. And without a right faith, we're no better than the devils. In fact, it might get a little bit worse for us. Because, see, we have, they don't have an opportunity to be saved. We do. They don't have an opportunity to receive Christ's blood for salvation. We do. And if we reject it, we always think about hell funny. You tell me. Somebody that rejects the blood of Jesus Christ versus a devil that trembles at his name. Which one's going to suffer worse? Time after time after time, people that are in churches, they hear the gospel, Lord willing, especially in our day and time. But Lord willing, time after time after time, they're in church, they hear the gospel, they hear the gospel, they hear the gospel, but they don't receive it. They, in la-la land, they're playing. Faith doesn't move their feet. Doesn't cause them to walk away from the things that God hates. And it doesn't cause them to follow and serve God with a heart of love. See, it's not only turning away from the world, but it's also turning unto God. It's not that God just wants to give you better morals so that you don't go to, to, the, to the alcohol store no more get drunk or to the club and do whatever. It's not that God just doesn't want you to do that and give you better morals. It's that God wants to save you and move you over this side where you're actually serving God and loving God and worshiping God and obeying God every day. It's not that he just doesn't want you to don't do, don't touch, don't look. It's that he wants you to start serving him loving him, worshiping him, and obeying him. So it's not just that we, we want to turn away from the world, but we're turning away from the world and turning unto God. Amen? To follow after God. And if your faith is right, if your faith is right, if your faith is right, you, your feet, will be following God not yourself. Right? Look, I know it's a lot easier to lie to get a promotion. It's a lot easier to lie on your taxes. It's a lot easier to cheat. It's a lot easier to pretend. It's a lot easier to, to cut corners, especially when nobody's looking. But are you following God or yourself? Right? See, here's the problem. When you come in church, a pastor can tell you all this stuff. But a pastor ain't following you home. You could even take a, a, a CD of a pastor telling you something like this and play it. 
it still don't mean that you're going to obey God. Because invariably, somebody's going to turn the volume down and do what they want to do when they know that God hates it. And then you still want to call yourself a Christian. Are you in la-la land? Or do you have a right faith? What's your faith on? What's your faith on? You see, if your faith is on Christ, it's going to motivate you to follow Christ. If your faith is on Christ, it's going to motivate you to look to Christ. If your faith is on Christ, it's going to motivate you to want to be like him, to eliminate things out of your life that he doesn't like. It's going to motivate you to serve him. Right? I'm not saying that you don't need, you know, 15 minutes in the pool to relax. Jesus relaxed. Right? I'm talking about doing things that he hates. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about doing things he hates. And if you need help in that department, come see me. I don't know. What does the Lord hate? There's a few things that he hates, actually. There's a, there's a few behaviors that will not inherit the kingdom of God, actually. Oh, I, yeah, I, I got faith. kind of faith you got oh yeah yeah I, I got faith let me see what direction your feet are in James said you show me your faith without works I'll show you my faith by my works let me see what direction your feet are in and I'll know what you believe you say you love God well how you where are you going you say that you love God, but you're doing things God hates. I don't know. You say you love God, but you're doing things that God loves. Okay. But wilt thou know, O oh, vain man, vain man, vanity, vain, after whatever's in my heart. Oh, vain man. You know what a vain person is? A person that's all about themselves. A vain person is somebody who is about fulfilling the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is contrary to the Spirit of God. And a vain person will fulfill the desires of their heart and not the desires of God. A vain person will do whatever they want to do despite what that word says. Oh, yeah, I know, preacher. You can show me chapter and verse, but, you know, I don't have to be radical. Well, you can live how you want to live. I'm just trying to help you get to heaven. I'm trying to get, to, get it to where your heart's not deceiving you. In case you haven't remembered, Jeremiah chapter 17, it says that our hearts are deceitfully Wicked. In other words, you lie to you. 
You tell yourself it's okay when you know it's not. In other words, you're saying, that preacher, it's not that way. That's not the real world. Nobody can do that. Well, somebody better. Because the book says to. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather believe the book than my heart. And in addition to that, I'd rather believe the book than your heart. You can tell me it's too radical. You can tell me it's this and that. But I'm going to take the book. And so Jeremiah, whenever Jeremiah penned that our hearts are deceitfully wicked, we say, whatever. I know right and wrong. You don't know right and wrong unless God tells you what's right and wrong. Come on. Uh, somebody whose heart is wrong, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what they'll do. And you can use this illustration through all kinds of other sinful acts. I'm going to rob a bank. Get a million dollars. Then I'm going to tithe it, put it in the stock market. And once I get $2 million, I'll go give them the $1 million back. Right? That's a good plan. I'm going to give it back. It's basically a loan, and everybody loans money. I mean, even in the Bible, there's times when people loan money. And so I'm just going to go take it with a gun. I'll tithe on it, put it in the stock market, and then whenever I get more money, I'll go give it back. But it wasn't mine to begin with. It wasn't mine to begin with. You see this in relationships a lot. I've never been to a place like, like this. You know how many times I've heard people say that they're married? Oh, yeah, this is my wife. This is my wife. Oh, yeah, this is my wife. This is my wife. They both have other spouses. We need some, we need some uh, biblical marital counseling, Pastor. Okay. When were you married? Oh, this is my wife. Well, when were you married? This is my wife. When were you? Well, we're not married. Okay. Never been to a place like that. People just call their girlfriend their wife. Just because you're sincere doesn't mean God approves. Go over there to, did I read? Yeah, I read to verse 20. Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll close over here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9, and we're going to read through uh, verse number 11. So 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, is, it, it, it is what I call the dividing line. You want to know? How God feels about a subject, this is a great place to start. And how many of you know that it's more important to know what God says about a subject than what we say? Again, faith moves our feet. So if you say that you have faith, but you find yourself in these circumstances, your feet ought to be getting out of these circumstances. 
And if your feet are stuck and you don't know how to get out of the circumstances, if you'll simply lift up your hands and ask the Lord for help, the Lord will send you help. The Lord will break the chains of bondage off of you if you'll lift your hands up and ask him to. God will supernaturally take you out of that situation and, and remove the powerful grip that it has on you if you'll ask. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened. You want to get out of the bondage you're in? Ask the Lord for help. You know how many people can give a testimony about bondages that God broke them out of? Testimony after testimony. God freeing them from something that they thought they would be stuck in all their life. I just can't get out of this cycle. Have you lifted your hands up and asked God to help you? Watch this. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you know what it means by inheriting the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. There's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. You may not realize that, but there is. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. So we're talking about heaven here. We're talking about heaven. It's talking about a spiritual place. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Everybody say, be not deceived. Be not deceived. So if you're deceived, whose fault is it? You kind of walked in that one. Be not deceived, neither... Okay, and here's the list, okay? Now, once we get to the end of verse 10, there's a big change that takes place because everybody that's right with God has found themselves inside this list. Okay? But the promise comes after it. But if you find yourself in this list, you need to get right with the Lord. Lift your hands up and ask the Lord to break this bondage off of your life. Neither fornicators. Now this word fornicate, fornicating, this actually, part of it is where we get, you know, pornography from. But fornicating also takes place in other ways. Sometimes it's not just a physical activity. It's a thought. It's a thought as well. Thinking these things about other people. And here's another part of it. <clears throat> Causing people to think those kinds of thoughts. Okay? Neither fornicators nor idolaters. These are people that worship anything other than God. You know, some people make an idol out of, I don't know, sports. 35,000 people will watch a ball game in zero degrees. Standing, 
screaming for three and a half hours. You know how I know? I'm guilty. People will go in zero degrees for three and a half hours standing, screaming. And yet, if you ask people to stand for more than 20 minutes in praise and worship, you get ugly looks. You got three and a half hours, people are willing to, to, to wear whatever they got to wear. Three and a half hours. I'm talking about football games, right? Three and a half hours. Where masks, coveralls, gloves, you name it, and they're there, and they're not going to leave because they're not going to miss nothing. But if the preacher goes more than a certain amount of time, our attention span's gone. You tell me. You tell me if we have an idol or not. You tell me. Idolatry. It'd be anything. We could watch um, the, the newest, and I don't, you could watch the newest Star Wars or Star Trek or Star This or Star Whatever. You could watch the newest movie for three hours. Eyes fixed. Nobody talk to me. Hush. Just like this. But then in church, if somebody actually gets up to go to the restroom, our attention's gone. Am I being serious? See, if the new movie's on, our eyes are glued, you know? You could be talking to somebody, and they're not even hearing a word you say, right? Because they're engrossed in the movie. I've been waiting for this movie for three years. I can't believe they made a new star thing. I've been standing in line all day waiting on my ticket. Do you know that there was a day in time when a preacher came to church and people had been standing in line waiting on the doors to open? You know that there was a revival so great in Scotland? The preacher came and people had been there for three hours waiting for the church to open. He had to crawl over people to get to the door. They were hungry for God. This is how people are hungry for star thing on the movies. You want to know what's wrong with America? We're idolatrous. We say we love God. But if a preacher preaches more than 20 minutes, I'm out of there. I may not walk out, but I check out. But when my movie's on, you can talk the talk, but I'm watching this. Come on. One of the pastors I had at another place, he used to have a um, rewards. He would give the kids because, you know, 
they kind of believe like us a little bit about having kids in church. They would have the kids in church because they receive more than you think. But here's one of the things he did is is he would give them rewards if they could tell him different parts of the sermon. And you know what? Those kids did. They were actually paying attention, right? But you know kids today, they can't quote back anything a, a preacher says, but if they watch a movie, they can recite the lines. You tell me if we have an idolatry problem in America. When a little kid can recite the song to Dora Explore, but not victory in Jesus. You tell me. And, and so, any, I don't know how I got on Star Trek or whatever, but see, the, the problem is, you know, it's just like with sports. People say idolatry. That's for back then. No, idolatry is when you put anything above God. Now, look, everybody's going to be pious and say, oh, I don't put nothing above God. What excites you more than God? There's your idol. Well, God's just not that exciting. That means you've got a problem. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. If God doesn't excite you, you need to go down to the altar and get out with God and don't get up till you do. You need to get broken of that. It's robbing you of the spiritual life that God has available for you. That's why Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it more abundantly, but you don't have it. Because other things are above God. Maybe not in your mind, but they are in your heart. None of us in our mind would put anything above God. Nobody would dare put our favorite sports team or outdoor activity or movie above God, not in our mind, but in our heart it manifests because those things excite us more than God. Tell somebody, we're going to have an expositional Bible study on the book of Hebrews. Three people come. Tell somebody, we're going to watch the new Star Wars movie. Can't get enough seats. Where's the problem? It's in our hearts. All right, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers. Adultery is a a physical relationship between a married person that's not with their spouse. Could be two married people that's not with their spouse or one that is, but it, it deals with marriage. Fornication is, is, is outside of marriage. Um, nor effeminate, that's one of the big plagues on our nation, right? Come on. People try to put effeminate, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it is a, a, a horrible plague that's on our nation, all these things. Abusers of themselves with mankind, homosexuality, or sodomy, um, you know, they're trying to put that up there with civil rights. It's not a civil right to do sin. It's not. A civil right's a civil right. 
to everybody, regardless of where they're from, where they were born, how they talk, or how they look. But it's not according to your sin. Abusers of themselves with mankind, this is homosexuality. Nor thieves, this is taking something that does not belong to you. And got a lot of that in youth groups. Boys taking things from people that don't belong to them. Thieves. Uh, Nor covetous is desiring things that aren't yours. I never forget one of the the worst experiences. I've, I always wondered, why don't I fit in in this church? And it was a coveting church. Every prayer that everybody prayed was about a better house, a better car, a better job, a better retirement portfolio, a better watch, better shoes, better clothes. And I'm sitting there banging my head wondering, why don't I have anything in common with these people? Why don't I fit in with them? What's going on? What's wrong with me? And then one day God opened my eyes and showed me these are covetous people. All they care about is the carrot on the stick. I'm going to go lay hands on a new car. Will you go do that? I'm going to go lay hands on somebody that's not saved. You go get you a new car. I'm going to go try to get a soul in the kingdom. Where is your heart? Coven after stuff. You can't take it with you to heaven. Nor drunkards. Y'all know this. Well, what's the line? What is it in, in Louisiana? 0.08 or whatever? Is that right? 0.08. What is it with God, though? You want to tempt God? <laughs> when God says drunkards don't inherit the kingdom of God, you want, to, you want to cross that line? Well, it's just one drink. What's, God, what's God's breathalyzer limit? It's one shot. I had a hard day. It's one glass. Okay. You're going to do that and not go to heaven? Come on. Another thing, alcohol lies to you. It tells you it'll relax you. It actually destroys you. It makes you do things you never wanted to do. It makes you let go of your dignity and your innocence. Makes you compromise in ways you never thought you would. And yet, there's a debate in the church about should we or shouldn't we? I'll never forget a pastor said, I'll tell you how you know if it's right for you to drink or not. He said, while I'm preaching, I'm going to take a, 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 a bottle of beer and set it right here and drink from it while I preach. Would that be okay? And everybody said, no, that wouldn't be okay. And he said, if it's not right for me, then it's not right for you. Amen. Well, what's the difference between, you know, 
Sunday morning service and after church. What's the difference? Is God not here and there? You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't go on vacation when the church service closes. He's still watching. Yeah, actually, there's a lot in that, drunkards, because when it comes to the Bible, what you think is wine and what God says is wine is probably different. In fact, in one of the passages in Jeremiah, God's, God tells them to grab a cluster of wine. Yeah, not a cluster of grapes, a cluster of wine. You know why God said to grab a cluster of wine? Because sometimes when God says wine, he means grapes. Well, I know what it means in 2018. I know. I know you can get it in a box or a bag or whatever. But God don't change. Our culture might, but God don't change. Nor thieves, nor covetous. I know it's a little bit hard, but it, we're going to get there. Watch this. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't say you get a slap on the wrist. It says you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So, okay, what do you want more? Do you want God? Because God's ready, willing, and able to save your soul and change your life and take you out of the kingdom of darkness and translate you to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of his dear son, to make you a new person, to bring you from death to life, to put the spirit of God inside you, to cause you to walk after him, love him, and follow him all the days of your life. Everybody can say, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened in me. How are you going to do that if he ain't in you? And so we come to verse 11 in closing in this sermon. And such were some of you. So don't look down on other folks because most everybody fell into one of those categories, maybe two or possibly three. Everybody's hit one of the rungs on that ladder going down. Okay? So it, it's nothing to feel condemned about. It's something to feel convicted about because the Bible says, and such were some of you because we've all been there. We've all done that. The only difference is, is if you lift your hand up and ask God to save you. That's the only difference. If you lift your hand up and say, God, this is too much for me. I need help to break out of this cycle that I'm in. It's up to you whether you live right with God or not. I can't come to your house and make you live right. And God's not going to make you live right. It's a choice you and I make daily. Daily follow Christ. Pick up your cross and follow Him daily. And such were some of you. But you are washed. Washed by what? Are you washed? In the blood. In the soul 
cleansing blood. Such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified. That's with a D, by the way. Your faith in Christ takes you to that place where there's a D on it. Sanctified. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What does all that mean? It means this. It's somebody put their faith in Jesus, and it moved their feet. And they moved from being a drunk to going after God. They moved from being an idolater to going after God. They moved from being covetous and going after God. Faith moved their feet. In other words, faith caused them to respond. Faith was put into action. It was not dead faith. It was saving faith because they put their faith in Christ and it was the real thing. It caused them to walk a new walk, talk a new talk, and go a new way. And if you'll put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll do the same thing for you. You could say just like everybody else, that job was just like me. And such were some of you, he said, but you're washed. You, you and the Lord know whether you're where you need to be. You and the Lord know. It's between you and God. It's between you and God. If you got skeletons in the closet, only God knows. And you know. And it's not important that you let the whole world know. But it's important that you let God know. When God came and down in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned, unlike some people on TV, God's not ignorant. God knew where Adam was. But he asked Adam. God knew where Adam was, but he asked Adam, where are you? And God knows where you're at. But he's asking you, where are you? And if you're willing to tell God where you're at, God will save you and change you and deliver you. If you're willing to tell God where you're at, God will. God is ready, God is willing, and God is able. Then you won't have any more skeletons in the closet. Then you won't have anything else to hide. Then you won't have anything else to be ashamed of. You'll be right. You'll be living right. And your faith will cause your feet to walk right. You have a living faith, not a dead faith. According to James 2, verse 20. Father, we just thank you tonight, uh, Lord, for this opportunity to open the Word of God. And Father, we pray that you would change us through the power of your Spirit. 